Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. Anyone who wants to be president has to come through New Hampshire first, and no one covers New Hampshire politics like WMUR. I'm WMUR political director Adam Sexton, and we hope you can join us every week for this podcast. And she was one of the most high-profile and outspoken elected supporters of Bernie Sanders in 2016. Now Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard is making her own run for the White House, and she is our guest this morning. Congresswoman, Thank thanks you. for joining us. Good morning, Adam. Good to be here. So you have to travel farther than any other presidential candidate to get here, <laughs> but when you do get here to New Hampshire, you're making your time count with these visits that are four and five days long with lots yeah. of small, intimate events. Tell us, what's your strategy for trying to win the First in the Nation primary? Uh, really just getting out and meeting uh, and hearing from voters all across New Hampshire. Uh, it's such a great opportunity both for me to be able to introduce myself to folks, uh, let them know about who I am, where I come from, and why I'm asking to serve them as president and commander-in-chief, and also to hear directly from them about uh, a lot of the challenges that folks in New Hampshire are facing, uh, which are frankly not very different from challenges that people across this country are trying to tackle. You mentioned the commander-in-chief thing. Yeah. Uh, you serve this country in uniform, so you've experienced foreign policy at the most basic level, exactly. being the tip of the spear, essentially. But how would foreign policy work, uh, our approach to the rest of the world, under a Gabbard administration? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, I serve as a soldier still in the Hawaii Army National Guard. Uh, have done so for about 15 years and on two deployments to the Middle East. Uh, throughout over six years in Congress, I've served on both the House Foreign Affairs and the Armed Services Committees, so have seen and experienced firsthand the brunt of the result of our foreign policy on our service members and the impact in other parts of the world where we wage uh, wasteful interventionist wars as well as uh, what is wrong with our foreign policy in Washington. So to answer your question I think there's a couple of things that we need to do. One is to end these wasteful regime change wars that have proven to be so costly, uh, costing taxpayers trillions of dollars, uh, this nuclear arms race costing us trillions of dollars, and bring those dollars back to serve the needs of people, uh, meet their needs uh, that, that they're dealing with every single day. How we are relating to other countries is so important. This is not an isolationist policy. It's a policy of actually building partnerships uh, and a foreign policy that's based on cooperation rather than conflict. Getting rid of this uh, fossilized zero-sum foreign policy that says in order for the United States to win, everyone else must lose. There are a lot of areas of, of common interest. We've got to be able to work with and build relationships with other countries to accomplish those mutual objectives. Yeah. On, on the relationship with other countries, you've taken some heat for your uh, support or uh, relationship with President Bashar al-Assad of Syria. Where do you draw the line with a leader in terms of, if you're the president, what does a leader of a country have to do to get on your bad side, I guess, in terms of a humanitarian or anti-freedom values? Uh, well, first of all, just to, to correct the record, I don't support Assad or don't have a relationship with him or any other uh, dictator in the world. My actions and my policy have been in the pursuit of peace uh, and security. Uh, it's acknowledging and understanding that unless our leaders have the courage to have conversations with and to have talks with other leaders, whether they be adversaries or potential adversaries, the only alternative is war. Uh, war must be saved as a last resort. We've got to be able to pursue these diplomatic paths towards peace and security. Uh, the regime change wars that our country has led, most recently in countries like Iraq and Libya and Syria, 
have most often been sold to the American people under the guise of humanitarianism. In reality, the results of these wars have been increasing the suffering of people in these countries. They have undermined our own national security in strengthening terrorist groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. They have taken an extremely high cost and toll on our service members and their families. What to speak of the costs that every single American is paying and the trillions of dollars that are going towards these wars that don't serve our interests and don't serve the interests of the people in those countries, dollars that we desperately need to serve the needs of our people and our communities. Well, we're in the neighborhood of Syria there. What's your position on President Trump's tweet in which he said it's time for the United States to recognize Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights? Uh, I think it was unnecessary and uh, once again a political ploy to serve the interests of Trump uh, and Netanyahu in Israel. They have elections just coming up uh, in a few short weeks. Uh, it is short-sighted, its action was short-sighted by Trump and something that could potentially increase the likelihood of conflict between a number of uh, countries who are operating within the regions, the United States, uh, Israel, Syria, uh, Iran, and Russia. Uh, it's these kinds of short-sighted actions and policies uh, that don't serve the interest of our country or our national security. We see a lot of Democratic presidential candidates declining to go to this policy conference of the uh, American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee, AIPAC. Do you think Democrats need to be careful at all as, as they proceed here, uh, highlighting policy differences uh, with AIPAC or Israel, especially when the president is pushing this narrative that there is something more to this, uh, perhaps anti-Semitism? Uh, look, I think it's important for us to stay focused on the issues. There's a whole lot of partisanship um, and, and kind of distractions away from uh, what our focus should be, which is how are our policies, both here in the United States, as well as our relationships with other countries, best serving the interest of our people and and our country. So that, that's what I'm focused on and seeing where are those areas of shared interest, how can we strengthen cooperations with other countries, uh, while also being able to deal with some of the tough issues uh, that we face. One of the issues that's really come up quite a bit in this Democratic primary, at least with other campaigns, is talk of reparations. Mm -hmm. uh, American slavery, uh, reparations to Native Americans uh, for the taking of tribal lands. What about in Hawaii? Uh, the United States uh, basically took over in 1893. What's your position on reparations to indigenous people of Hawaii. Yeah, you know, there was a piece of legislation that was introduced by someone who I had the privilege of working for as a legislative aide in the United States Senate, a friend and mentor, uh, U.S. Senator Daniel Akaka, that was uh, basically legislation that issued an official apology to the native Hawaiian people. That bill was signed into law uh, by President Clinton, uh, and I think something similar needs to take place for other uh, indigenous people and for the dark tragedy of slavery that occurred in our country's history. Uh, I'm a co-sponsor of a piece of legislation, H.R. Uh, 40, in Congress that would basically create a commission to uh, provide a recommendation to Congress on how best to provide reparations to those descendants of slaves. And uh, one of the issues we hear when we talk to Democratic Party voters, you had to apologize at the beginning of this campaign for past anti-gay rights activism. When someone from New Hampshire approaches you and says, what's this all about? Uh, how do I know what your position is on this issue? What do you tell them? Uh, first of all, my commitment to fighting for equality for all Americans, fighting for equality for LGBTQ Americans uh, is, is longstanding. Uh, throughout my record in Congress over six years, I have a 100% legislative rating from 
um, organizations like the Human Rights Campaign that is pushing for LGBTQ equality uh, have co-sponsored and pushed forward a number of pieces of legislation to do so. Uh, I was brought up in a very socially conservative family uh, and held views when I was very young that I no longer hold today. Uh, I apologize and regret for some of the things that I said when I was younger that were hurtful to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Uh, my legislative record is a reflection of what's in my heart and my commitment to continuing to further uh, this fight for equality as we still need to make changes in this country to achieve that goal. With that evolution in place, do you consider yourself the progressive champion in this race, the most progressive Democrat running? Uh, look, I'm focused on fighting for our people and fighting for our planet. Uh, different people interpret the word progressive in different ways. So I just want to make clear to folks that are watching at home uh, for myself that this really isn't about one label or another uh, representing one part of the country or another. It's really about seeing how we best come together to put people ahead of profits, people ahead of partisan politics, and actually focus on how uh, we can best serve the needs of our people and build that, that more perfect union. Okay, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, we'll see you out there on the Thank campaign you, trail. Thanks for joining nice us. Nice to see you. Hey, Facebook recently made some changes. Now you're missing out on lots of content from WMUR, but it's easy to stay connected. Go to WMUR's Facebook page, tap follow, then see first. That's it. Just two taps brings you back in the know. He's a bona fide hero of the war in Iraq and a three-term congressman now considering a run for president. Congressman Knowlton is here this morning. Thank you for joining us, Congressman. We appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Adam. So uh, Iraq was a defining moment for you, obviously. What do you see that country stand right now and what should happen next in terms of U.S. policy in that part of the world? You know, there's no one who wants to get the troops out of the Middle East uh, more than I do, having spent so much of my life there myself. But we've got to make sure that we make clear what their mission is and when they can come home, they can come home for good. Because we already made the mistake of withdrawing troops too quickly from Iraq and then having to send them back a year later. I fear that the president is making the exact same mistake right now in Syria where it's clear, it's clear we don't have a mission and we're not clear what they're doing. But, but if we just abandon our allies there, we might have to go back. Same thing for Afghanistan. We need a, a clear, defined mission. I think it should just be counter-terror, bring all the rest of the troops home, be explicit about what we're doing there, and let the troops know this is what you have to accomplish to get home for good. Is the world a safer place without Saddam Hussein in power in Iraq? I mean, I guess it's a safer place without Saddam, per se, but what about all the terrorists? I mean, we have more Sunni extremists in the world today than we did on 9-11. What does that say about our policy in the war on terror? I think it's time to totally rethink our national security. Uh, I think the next commander-in-chief has got to really prepare our troops and our country for the next generation of threats, because Russia isn't attacking us with ICBMs and troops running into Western Europe. They're attacking us through the internet. China is stealing our businesses' ideas through the internet every single day. They are literally stealing American jobs. So while the president talks about building a wall on the southern border as if immigrants are stealing our jobs, China actually is. What we need is a cyber wall, not a border wall. That's the kind of next generation thinking that I think that the next commander in chief has, has to bring to the table. Obviously, such a huge burden has been borne by our veterans, uh, especially overseas and in the Middle East. What can Congress do uh, to resolve this issue of veteran suicide, this epidemic we're seeing right now? Well, my bottom line is that veterans deserve the best health care in the world, period. 
And when I got elected back in 14, I made a commitment to continue getting my own health care at the VA until we can fix it. And I've worked very hard in Congress to fix the VA, uh, often working across the aisle to get things done that will really make a difference for veterans, like the Faster Care for Veterans Act that I, that I passed to make it easier for veterans to make appointments at the VA. That's the first step, because veterans come home and they go to the VA for care. That means that if the hospital, if the VA hospital is where you're going, it needs to be the best as good as any private hospital. If you don't have a VA hospital nearby, then you need to be able to get the care you need at a private hospital. But I've had a first-hand experience with this um, through a lot of the guys I served with, uh, many of whom have tried to get care for post-traumatic stress. I mean, we went through a lot. And uh, a good example is um, a real hero of mine from the war. His name is James Hassel from Alabama. He uh, saved another guy's life. In fact, a kid from St. Johnsbury, Vermont. And um, James got out and went back home and wanted to continue uh, saving lives in the private sector. So we went to nursing school, got a great job. But having gone through what we saw, he had post-traumatic stress. We went to the VA, but rather than give him the counseling they needed, they just gave him medicines. So many drugs that he had a heart attack at the age of 30 just from taking the medicines prescribed by the VA. That's not taking care of our veterans. That's, that's really letting them down. And it starts with fixing the VA. Let's shift more to the political side here. You've always gone your own way in Congress. Was it a mistake now, looking back, to take on Speaker Pelosi? No, I don't think it was a mistake because, frankly, we should have a democratic process for how we choose our Speaker. And she's doing a great job right now standing up to Trump. But because we had that because we had that uh, discussion, that debate um, about who should take our party forward, we now have an agreement on term limits, which means that the new generation of Congress, this incredible class of freshmen, the most diverse ever, has a real prospect of having a voice in our leadership. It means that we got the climate change subcommittee and the voting rights uh, subcommittee, which would never have happened without having that vigorous debate. And I actually think it's made her a stronger speaker. So we're the Democratic Party. We should be able to engage in the democratic process, and I'm proud that we did. You uh, proposed a new voting rights Act. Take us through exactly what you'd like to do in terms of uh, voting rights. Well, the reality today in America is that not everybody's vote counts. A lot of people know that, you know, because of the way the electoral college is structured, that their vote's not going to really matter in the presidential election. Uh, I was just down in North Carolina visiting with Dan McCready, who should be a sitting member of Congress, but is not because the Republican Party stole votes in that election. Uh, they had this absentee ballot scheme uh, that basically just took away votes from people um, you know, who, who thought that they were actually voting for their next congressman. And so what we need to do is really take a serious look at reforming the process. That means that we should have Election Day be a holiday so everybody can go and vote. So you don't have to have crazy schemes with absentee ballots and everything else if you just want to be able to get the paid time off to go to vote. It means that we need to end gerrymandering. I mean, I have actually come from the first gerrymandered district ever in, Mass in Massachusetts. Elbridge Gary's house still stands in my hometown. And gerrymandering means that a lot of people feel that their vote doesn't really count. Their vote doesn't matter. It also makes incredibly partisan members of Congress. So these are some of the reforms that we need by out of totally rethinking our electoral college system. I mean, the election system, I should say. You know, the most fundamental principle of a democracy is that your vote counts. Your vote matters. For all the problems of the Iraq war, I remember that first Iraqi election, the first time that Iraqis ever got to choose their leader. They had to dip their fingers in ink to mark that they had voted. And we thought that they would walk around the streets with their hands in their pockets or under, under their abayas because they didn't want insurgents to see that they had voted. 
but in fact, they walked through the streets holding their hands up high, showing that finger because it meant my vote mattered, my opinion counts. Today in America, not everybody votes, not everybody's vote matters, and we need to change that. Uh, specifically, though, you do call for the abolition of the Electoral College? We do. Um, I think the Electoral College should go away. Um, I also think that, um, you know, when you look at Congress itself, we should get rid of the filibuster in the Senate so that the good things that we're doing in Congress, like passing H.R. 1, another thing that would help push money out of politics, can actually get passed by the Senate and turned into law. Do you think abolition of the Electoral College is even reasonable? I mean, Congress can barely get the basics done. Trying to pass a constitutional amendment would seem almost like a moonshot. Actually, no, it's going pretty well because there's an, an effort among the states right now um, to pass laws that essentially will move towards abolishing the Electoral College by saying, by talking about how their electoral colleges are vote are, are apportioned uh, in an election. It's a lot of wonky stuff, but state by state we're making progress and we're actually getting fairly close to two-thirds. And how do you do that without diminishing the power of a state like New Hampshire, which doesn't have a big population? Well, the beauty of New Hampshire is, is its role in the primary, right? Um, New, Hampshire's, uh, New Hampshire has an um, incredible role in our, in our election process um, because of the time of the primary. But when it comes to the general election, uh, it just means that every vote is the same, that whether you live in New Hampshire or Massachusetts, your one vote has the same effect on who the president is. And that, that should be the case in our democracy. Speaking of our democracy, uh, you're considering running for president. Take us through your thought process and the timetable you have for making a decision of whether or not to jump in on 2020. Sure. You know, so for me, this really does come back to my time in the Marines, because I didn't expect to be in politics even just a few years ago. Uh, I decided to, to join the Marines really because of the most important mentor I've ever had in my life, and he was the minister of my college church. And he talked a lot about the importance of service, about how it's not enough just to believe in service or support others who serve. You've got to go out and find a way to give back yourself. And sitting in this church that was a memorial to the war dead, mainly from World War I and World War II, I couldn't help but think about these 18-year-old kids who put their lives on the line for our country every single day. So I decided to sign up, and I didn't know that September 11th would happen a few months after graduation or uh, that I'd do four tours in Iraq. But Iraq, as you said, was really a defining moment in my life. Some of the best days of my life were in Iraq because I met some of the most amazing Americans I've ever met. But some of the worst days were there too because it was the first time that I really felt let down by my government, even, even betrayed in Washington by the people who had sent us there. And so when I came back, I decided that that's not going to change if people like me don't step up and serve. We've actually never had fewer veterans in Congress in our nation's history than we have over the last 10 years. And so, so I ran in 2014. I challenged an incumbent um, and, and won a, a really tough race. And now, as I look at the future, I think about all these people in America that I've met on the campaign trail over the past two years that I've been supporting a lot of veterans who are who, uh, who were a big part of taking back the House in 2018, and going to a lot of districts, a lot of districts that voted for Trump, some that voted for Obama but then voted for Trump, you feel the same sense of betrayal, of being let down by Washington. Our economy is changing faster than it's ever changed before. Jobs aren't being taken by immigrants, they're being taken by robots. The timetable, yeah. though, for running for president is... So I'll, I'll make a decision in the next month. But the point is that there are a lot of Americans who are feeling let by, that behind by Washington. And we need a commander-in-chief who can take this country forward, who can take on Donald Trump, but can also unite the country when we're done. All right. Congressman Seth Moulton, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for joining us for WMUR's The Trail, from New Hampshire to the White House. If you have a moment and can write a review or subscribe to this podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. 
You can also find us on WMUR.com and our free WMUR app 24-7. See you for the next episode of this podcast next week.